0: What's up, everybody? This is the second crisis update. As a reminder, this is a show in which we report on major stories around the world, trying to elevate consciousness about crucial stories, both in the global South and the West, and uh, especially from a left perspective. And we had planned on doing this weekly, and we didn't have an episode last week. But, uh, you know, given the nature of things, uh, last week, there just weren't well, it wasn't that much to report. So, you know, we will aim to put things out weekly, but, you know, given the situation or given what's going on, that may not always occur. So another thing is just want to point out that this episode is being recorded on June 25th, Saturday, in 2022. And so that's just a reference. when We refer to days or dates when the episode actually releases. So the first story that we wanted to talk about today is is that the remains of Congolese independence leader, Patrice Lumumba, uh, have returned home. For some background, on the 22nd of May, 1960, Patrice Lumumba was the first prime minister of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, uh, which was declared independent that year via the Belgo-Congolese Roundtable Conference. And two years earlier, Lumumba had met Pan-African leader and first president of Ghana, or as uh, VJ Prashad says, first African below the Sahara to rule a people who wanted him to be their ruler, Kwame Nkrumah. These two would sub- subsequently form a very close relationship. And while Lumumba did not uh, classify himself as a communist or a socialist, he was uh, proudly anti-imperialist. And just as a quote from an interview from him: "The colonialists." have campaigned against me throughout the country because I'm a revolutionary and demand the abolition of the colonial regime, which ignored our human dignity. They looked upon me as a communist because I refused to be bribed by the imperialists. We are neither communists, Catholics, nor socialists. We are African nationalists We reserve the right to choose our friends in accordance with the principle of positive neutrality. And this, this willingness to cooperate with who he wanted to cooperate with and a willingness to defy imperial powers cost Lumumba his life. After he was denied aid by the UN, he turned to the Soviet Union. Some saw this as the the final straw, and he was seized, tortured, and executed in a coup supported by the Belgian authorities, which was the former colonizing power, the United States and the United Nations. On June 21st, 2022, a plane took Lumumba's mortal remains, a, a tooth, Keep in mind that Lumumba's body was dissolved in acid and never dis- recovered, which just shows how how brutal his execution was. So I assume this this tooth was probably uh, recovered via the torture that preceded his uh, his uh, execution. But uh, the tooth was handed over to his family, and in a ceremony in Brussels, a casket containing the tooth was placed in a coffin. And yes, it was uh, handed over to the Congolese authorities and the Presence of his family and a quote from his daughter is: "Father, we mourned your passing without performing the funeral prayer. Our duty as descendants was to offer a worthy burial." And uh, I mean, it's 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 sick, you know. It's, it's sick that um, you know the the <laughs> the burial of of this uh, leader is is really just a tooth in a coffin. That's all that's left of him. And uh, we know historically, you know, when you Brush up against American imperialism. This is, you know, this this often is the the trend and not the exception. Absolutely. And then they lecture people about like being nonviolent. All oh, right, right, right.
1: Yep. Our second story today, we're keeping in line with a wave of strike action around the globe. Um, last time, last episode, we reported on industrial action taking place in Europe, specifically in the UK, and this time. We have, we are witnessing industrial action taking place, coming from primarily from health workers, doctors, nurses, and this is in Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe right now, ever since, I mean, for quite quite some time, even under the previous president, President Mugabe, who was afflicted with sanctions, which descended or drove Zimbabwe into a state of hyperinflation. Inflation currently stands at a, 100, a staggering 132% with a, with a staggering 90% unemployment. So, as you can imagine, the, the cost of living globally is squeezing workers, and people are reacting, and rightfully so. So, health workers, doctors, nurses have come out in the streets, and this is quite extraordinary, particularly in Zimbabwe, a country where often strike action is met by with political repression. So, we we can we know from this, or we can infer from this, that for it to get to this level means people have had enough, and what people are what the Health workers are asking for or demanding for is for their pay to be paid in dollars. Currently, the average health worker receives about $100 a month, and their basic necessities and needs are not being met. So, again, all power to the Zimbabwe workers, and we are standing in solidarity with these, with actions, industrial action, wherever it may be. As always, in crisis, those who ha- suffer the most are those who have the least. Our next story then is a meeting that took place under the aus- auspices of, Af- of the African Union, whose chairman is President Sall of Senegal. This meeting was called for approximately 10 weeks ago by Zelensky, the president of Ukraine, in an attempt to pivot Africa, Africa and African African leaders away from Russia Towards a support of Ukraine. For context, about forty-four percent of wheat imported into Africa comes from Russia and Ukraine. And right now, currently, Russia is not allowing exports from Ukraine to take place, which has descended, which has caused um, a rising food source shortages take place right now in Africa, and rising food uh, costs. In what is seen as a embarrassment to Zelensky, out of all the African leaders that were invited, only four attended. And I can't lie, my personal opinion, I want to see what Christian says as well. I'm actually some, even though I believe African leaders deserve a lot of smoke and they deserve a lot of the criticism they are subjected to, I'm quite impressed with their kind of forbearance. They're not allowing their political positions on Russia and Ukraine to be dictated to by the US. And I think that's quite impressive, actually.
0: Mm-mm. Yeah, I think, well, I think, you know, we're really in like a multipolar world right now. And I think the African nations uh, really do recognize that there's, given the economic conditions, and we're going to talk about a little bit about this later in, in uh, another story. But I think the African nations really do realize that some of these economic actions um, by the global, the more the Western global community, the U.S., the U.N., you know these economic actions would not be supportive of of their uh, economy, and exactly. uh, you know they uh, you know they're acting somewhat rationally. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> exactly. So and it's also is at the backdrop of actually um, President Makisal who met with Putin earlier, in, earlier this year to kind of convince him to release the the wheat exports, and that he got a guarantee for from Putin on this actually. So and then our next story, moving on right now is to Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka has defaulted on its debt interest payments of a whopping 63 million pounds. Their foreign reserves, foreign currency reserves has all but depleted, meaning that they're unable to now buy products to import into their country. Right now, people are going without food electricity power cuts have become frequent people are being told to work less people are being told to use less energy people are being told not to come into not to come into work so right now to some time kind of saving grace india has said that they are pledging about five billion to help this the imf as always right on cue has stepped in but this ims as always comes with what structural adjustment development and a part of this they've said that sri lanka must raise its interest rates and taxes of any condition of any further loan, further putting them
0: in what we know as debt trap diplomacy. And I think this is a great transition into the next story, which is the hosting of the 14th BRICS summit, uh, which was hosted by Chinese President Xi Jinping. So uh, the summit was held virtually because of the pandemic. Um, you know, some some nations are still observing the pandemic. BRICS is an organization, and it stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And these are the world's top five emerging economies. They consist of 41% of the population globally, 24% of the global GDP, and 16% of global trade. So during the summit, President Xi Jinping talked about the need to boost multilateral cooperation and asked the BRICS to reject a Cold War mentality block confrontation. And this is, this comment is made during this backdrop of, you know, the Russian Ukrainian war and rising inflation leading to an inevitable global recession. And the reality is, you know, the developing and poor nations will bear the brunt of this. And that's seen with uh, Sri Lanka, as Omadu just mentioned. Uh, Given that the the war in Ukraine was such a, you know, is such a uh, impactful, you know, event right now in such an important backdrop, it, it kind of sets the tone for, you know, this, this kind of economic planning and these economic conversations. Well, uh, Xi Jinping was actually the only one who addressed the war directly during this conference. He basically was a bit supportive in saying that, you know, that U.S., the, the U.S. ultimately aggravated the situation and NATO aggravated the situation. Causing Russia to retaliate in the way that it did, but the reality is most of the nations in the um, in the BRICS in the conference were really focused on um, the economic consequences of the war and the economic consequences of this rising in inflation. And you know, I, I when I was doing my research on this, I was looking at uh, um, Al Jazeera reporting on it, and the host from Al Jazeera was asking um, some of the Uh, panelists they had that were uh, experts that were like political analysts and experts you know do, do you think um that the BRICS is going to default to a support of Russia in this situation especially Russia being a member of the BRICS but well it's interesting and what kind of the answer that these analysts were giving is that you know when we talk about the Russian-Ukrainian war and the larger economic impacts of said war, and this relates back to what um, Momadou was reporting on uh, regarding African nations and Zelensky, when we talk about support, there's no. This isn't like a two-sided thing. This isn't like you support Russia, you support Ukraine. Because of the impact on on the global economy, there are other nations who are implicated in the situation. And when you're talking about supporting, supporting also extends to the third world. Support also extends to, you know, these African nations. Support also extends to developing countries. So when we talk about support and we talk about sanctions, which have always been, you know, detrimental. And I believe also, you know, Xi Jinping called out sanctions as, you know, they can only backfire. I mean, you know, it's not like us here in, in America are, are benefiting from constricting, you uh, flows of trade, you know, and we're feeling the brunt of it too. But the point is, you know, when you talk about support, there's a larger picture that is not just about Russia and Ukraine. It's really about how are, you know, the poorest and how are the developing nations going to be able to provide for themselves in in this situation. So it's not, it's, you know, I think a big theme of this event was that, you know, let's get past the ideology and uh, talk about the pragmatic need to have a robust economy oh yeah I also have the next one <laughs> the, yeah the other story we want to talk about is um, uh, Biden's deployment of troops in Yemen this this uh, this story was actually reported uh, a little further back it wasn't this past week. I think it was like around the 12th but via the cradle you know the, the US president had previously vowed to end offensive support for the saudi-led. Coalition amid growing criticism in Congress of Washington's uh, role in the brutal war on Yemen, and uh, in his letter, the White House has confirmed support for Saudi Arabia and allies. You know this was this was something that uh, you know, like many other things, you know, Biden uh, promised a a, a a discontinuing of support, but it's continued. And just for context. According to the UN, the war in Yemen has killed at least two hundred thirty-three thousand people directly and indirectly, due to an increase in prevalences of disease and a result of hack- attacks on health facilities and the widespread shortage of food. It's not just direct violence, but that's the larger effects of war.
1: Thank you, Christian. Now back to or oh, some good news. It seems like the pink tide or the leftist swing is continuing in the global south and this time it is manifested or seen or can be seen in the recent election of Gustavo Petro and Francia Marquez in Colombia. Colombia for the longest time has been ruled by oligarchs, by right-wing conservatives and this election of an Afro-Cuban woman and a leftist you know, center of, uh, left of center uh, president comes from years, on the back of years of organizing. So it's a joyous occasion. Um, From what I'm aware of, I know Francia Marquez, particularly, actually is self-described as a Marxist-Leninist. And I think it's, a joyous occasion to be celebrated, as we can see. Even with, let's say, the summit that recently took place, Biden's failed summit of the Americas, in which he decided to exclude so many of American countries, such as Cuba, Venezuela, and several other leaders in the global South, particularly Latin America, also declined to attend if they're going to exclude so many leaders. So I kind of feel like it's an exciting time right now, particularly in Latin America. And this is just another kind of... I guess a celebrate celebratory thing for us on the
0: left. Um, Christian, do you want to add something to the elections? Yeah, yeah. No, I just I think it's worth pointing. It's worth pointing out, and I have a little bit more detail about. As you mentioned, you know, this has this is not just you know some sort of spontaneous thing. You know, this is uh, on the upswell of of um, of protests and and organizing. You know, especially since twenty nineteen. There were strikes, many strikes in 2019 that brought together trade unions, peace organizations, peasant Mm -hmm. groups, indigenous platforms, Afro-Colombian groups, and other social movements. And uh, these protests had various causes, including social inequality, economic inequality, police brutality, and austerity programs by the former president, Ivan Duque. And Duque's uh, poor response to the pandemic further uh, discontent. And it brought about protests in 2021 and more specifically fighting against increased taxes and assault on the healthcare system and an end to pandemic relief. So I think uh, I think I think what's hopeful about this is like when when met with, you know, right wing repression, you know, when met with uh, these uh, terrible uh, policies, you know, when when people do fight back, um, there can be these uh these moments, these wins on the other side of all that organizing, of all that uh, resistance. And also, it's it's worth uh, noting that also, um, in, in addition to being a Marxist-Leninist, you know, uh, Francia Marquez is also, the, you know, the first uh, Afro-Colombian woman of, yes. of, a, of a peasant background, of a peasant background, more specific, you know, to be elected to the position of vice president.
1: Yes, an Afro-Latina woman as vice president. Someone tried to fight me on social media when I said Francia Marquez over Kamala Harris. And then someone said mm-hmm. to me, can someone said to me, Can we stop putting these two queens against each other? Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, well I know which hill I'll die on anyway. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> over to you, Christian. Yes. Um so uh, another story from Latin America is um, been, there have been some strikes going on in uh, in Ecuador. On Tuesday, the Confederation of Indigenous Nationalities of the Ecuadorian Amazon denounced the death of an indigenous protester as a result of police brutality in the city of Puyo, in the province of Pastaza. And this, this is the result of uh, th- this uh, happened during a national strike. Um And this national strike was called by that same uh, organization, the Confederation of Indigenous Nationalities of the Ecuadorian Amazon. And the strike plans to continue until uh, the LASSO administration grants guarantees so that social organizations can start a dialogue process. And the causes which they want to have dialogue about uh, are citizens' demands for the high cost of living, budget cuts in education, and health insecurity, illegal mining and unemployment. Thank you Christian. Now another cause for celebration
1: while equally a cause for crying and lamentation <laughs> is the French election elections. Emmanuel Macron even though he won the presidency, he failed his party failed to secure a majority, the much needed majority of 289 seats in the National Assembly, therefore meaning he is going to either or going to need to get into a coalition, making it what his agenda, making his agenda much more difficult to be passed, as the French system is a hybrid parliamentary system with two chambers, upper house and the lower house, National Assembly and the Senate, meaning that bills and legislation must pass through both. The second largest party was a coalition of leftists. Um Trotsky's, Trotskyites, Communists actually won the second amount of seats, which is again considering a rising right-wing, literally far-right fascist uprising in France is a cause of celebration for the left once again in France. Why I said Lamentation, the far-right party led by Le Pen, Marine Le Pen, won about 80 seats, making it the largest swing to the far-right in modern history. So again, whilst we can celebrate The win for leftists in the National Assembly, there is a cause for concern. And we're just watching the trends right now in the French election, as this could indicate what the next general election in 2027 may be.
0: All right. Appreciate that. So wanted to just give a quick update. Momadou had talked in the last episode about um, rail strikes or rail workers. And this past, I believe it was Tuesday, yes. On Tuesday, more than 50,000 trained workers across 13 companies began three days of industrial action. Ultimately, um, the striking was in response to plans by the companies to cut jobs, real terms pay, and worsen unemployment uh, conditions. Via the Real News Network, rail rail firms uh, paid shareholders £800 million before asking workers to take a pay cut. So you see where their priorities are. And. You know, one of the top six rail companies is uh, First Group. Uh, And the First Group CEO, Matthew Gregory, was paid 840,000 pounds, which is 6% more than he received in 2019 to 2020, and 30 times more than what the company's lowest paid workers earned, according to its annual accounts. By contrast, they offered workers a 2% pay rise. (laughs) So, you know, you, you can see the... The priorities here. (laughs) I mean, I know why niggas mad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For real. (laughs) Another update then, or another wave of industrial action, which has been voted on. British Airways, British Airways, um, the employees at British Airways have decided to strike over the summer, particularly in Heathrow Airport, which will naturally cause a lot of disruption over the summer holidays. And I ain't mad at them. i got to be honest. I've flown British Airways about four times this year and they are skimping. They're trying to get, <laughs> no, they're trying to get back and withdraw back the funds they've lost through COVID. And they don't offer us even a water I didn't get on this flight, on these international flights, yeah? I barely got a water. They made me pay for the Wi-Fi, and there was no TV or no entertainment. So I am mad at these people. I'm supporting, <laughs> <No> <laughs> peanuts. supporting the work, exactly. They're saying they want to, again, what most works are calling for. Mm-hmm. With the rise of inflation, there has been wage depression. Right. So exactly, so the the wages are not commensurate with the, with inflation. So naturally, workers are calling for a rising wages. At the same time, these bosses and CEOs are giving themselves uh, pay increases or in salaries up to six hundred or more than half a million a year in salaries. So again, more power to the workers. And as in, uh, as my friend Haja tweeted, you know,
0: not the workers of the world <laughs>
1: uniting. <laughs> yeah. Over to
0: you, Christian. All right. So, you know, we we can't ignore this one because they get story. I think. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, as as many uh, as everyone has heard, well, as most have heard, the U.S. Supreme Court on Friday, which was yesterday, overturned Roe v. Wade. This was a landmark federal ruling that granted abortion rights for nearly five decades. The vote went six to three due to the court's conservative supermajority. And the overturning of the ruling will leave the protection of abortion rights in the hands of states. So, according to uh, a reproductive rights group called the Guttmacher Institute, 26 um, states are likely to uh, to ban abortion now that 1970 that the 1973 legal precedent has been overturned. Um, and so there, there are kind of a few bans here. Um, we, we could leave a link in, in the description if, if people want to look a little closer to it. You know, there's a pre-row ban, which is, you know, law enacted before 1973 and was never removed. So, you know, once the federal ruling is is removed, um, then, you know, you just go back to those uh, those uh, laws. You have trigger bans, you know, laws designed to be uh, designed to be triggered and take effect automatically, or by quick state action if Roe no longer applies. There's near near total bans where the law enacted after Roe to prohibit abortion under near under all or nearly all circumstances. There's a six week ban law prohibiting abortion after six weeks of pregnancy. Eight week ban law prohibiting abortion after eight weeks of pregnancy, and a state. Constitution bars uh, protection, so we are witnessing the falling apart of the United States, right in right. real time. I think, I think another th- another thing I wanted to say about this was, um, you know, I was looking at the the kind of I, I was re- reading uh, how Fox News was reporting this, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and how the right wing is reporting this. And uh, one thing that they're highlighting is that, you know, uh, of course this you know as you just said moment this is like the falling of the empire um and during the falling of the empire you know you, you have unrest and and um this ruling has like sparked a whole bunch of unrest But a lot of the unrest is, is happening in states where you know there is still um a right to abortion um mm-hmm. and so you know as i was reading you know fox news reporting on it <laughs> this was insane to me they were pointing out that uh you know oh everyone's protesting in dc you know outside the Capitol or on the hill or whatever and uh uh they're they're like you know oh dc still protects abortion you know uh why are these people you know protesting as if they're not protesting in front of the legislators who overturn the <laughs> overturn the ruling you know uh but you know th- their their logic is you know okay you know The people who are making, who are doing the unrest, they're doing it in states where abortion is still protected, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, I mean, that's that's not the point. Um, But what uh, what is what what they I see like the kind of like punchline they're setting up for is like, you know, these people are irrational. They're irrational, Mm -hmm. um, and they're making noise um, when when the protection exists for them further, they're citing property damage. And so, you know, you can see the kind of like the through line is you know, that they're irrational. they're creating property damage. You know, this is, this is type of language that really uh, rationalizes violent suppression. You know, yep. when, you, when you're trying to set uh, people who are kind of objecting to your fascistic laws as irrational, as uh, destructive, and you can sick the dogs on them, and you know Absolutely. this. This is this is also the issue that we talked about earlier with uh, with Ecuador. You know, like in in Ecuador, where that pro, uh, that uh, protester got killed. You know, a lot of the debate was about the the issue of of police brutality, the issue of police repression of uh, resistance. And so, you know, you you can already see the right wing. You know, just. Not just justifying the violence, but characterizing resistance as irrational, as mm-hmm. destructive, in order to justify, you know, uh, their, you know, their violence.
1: Yep. And then just kind of closing out, um, Justice Clarence Thomas yes, said that this mm-hmm. that nigger, yeah. said that the Supreme Court should reconsider rulings that protect contraception same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage um i think for me if anything this just shows all that bullshit identity politics is means nothing Mm -hmm. because you've got a black justice on the supreme court and that means nothing (laughs) literally means nothing for the rights of of, of, minorities and this should be a wake-up call if ever we needed one anyway but it should be a further wake-up call to like you know wake the fuck up and you know get organizing
0: right 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 for sure i mean i think uh uh, one thing his, is with his white right wife <laughs> right right <laughs> yeah no dr umar would have a, have a uh, word to say about that <laughs> but uh you know I, I think with regards to the this is, this is really like a, uh the that shows the need for like you know a real organized institutional life you know yep um and and is needed now more than ever for sure absolutely absolutely
1: so we're rounding up this week's dose of the crisis update with your hosts mamadou and christian please like comment subscribe onto the malcolm effect and we'll see you next week peace out